right, welcome to old school. Jane Huger, Bam Angus, Kevin Smith, everybody. All right. So, well, hello, folks. So weird to normally when somebody goes, Kevin Smith, people applaud, but there's <laughs> right, nobody right, here. Right, right. So yeah. I was like, Am I over? They're uh, applauding, they're pumping their fists. In they the are somewhere room. in the audience. People are like, Oh, him, I recognize yeah. him. I've seen him in things. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, still alive. I get that a lot. People are like, You still alive? One person I walked into a store, they were like, Hey, man, you had that heart attack. I was like, it did. They're like, you're still alive? I was like, yeah. They're like, nah, you died. And I was like, no, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> I told my, uh, you'll hopefully appreciate this or want to leave. The uh, So when I told my wife that you were coming on the show, I'm like, you know, Kevin Smith's coming on. She's like, Kevin Smith, the director? I'm like, yeah, Kevin Smith. You know, he's from Jersey, and she's from Jersey. What part? She's from, Jer she's from Hohokus. Oh, okay. I go, you know, I go, he's from Jersey, too. And she goes, that's a bullshit. Jersey name Kevin Smith. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, I'm out of here. Right. Look, I can't. You can't blame me for that. Right. 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 By my parents, no, like my old man Don Smith, who was salt of the earth. <laughs> where's the Where's my camera? This one. Yeah. What's her name? Lee. Lee Russo. Lee, get off my dead dad's. <laughs> okay, there you go. He now was Kevin Smith. School. And they gave it to me, and I hate it. Believe me, I, every day in my life, I sit there at some point or another and go like, I had a girlfriend in high school, Kim Lockhart, and I was always like, if I was smart. I would have made Clerks as Kevin Lochran because it has like a real ring to it. Kevin Smith. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with her. It's a terrible Jersey name, terrible no, human no, name. No, no, no. She's actually uh, technically wrong. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm also from Jersey. We actually. Now, where are you from? Yeah, uh, East Brunswick. Are you? Are no. we allowed to curse? Yeah, we're allowed to curse. Are you serious? <laughs> no, 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 no. So you, you know Brian Holland and stuff. Uh, He's no. got to play Dante. He's from there as well. Oh, is that right? No, yeah, I yeah. don't know him, but we, I should know him. We shot a piece of Clerks up there. He was going to school. At the time, and we he lived right near there. So the part where the dog's drinking out of the toilet and stuff uh -huh, yeah, is yeah. up there, there. Okay, so actually we have amazing connections Who? that you're about to find out in a second, okay? Uh, is my mother here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you bringing up my mom? Is this, this is your life? It's Bobby Smith. <laughs> it's still quiet, nothing. When were you nothing. born? Yeah, what what year? 71? Uh, when I moved? Born. Oh, born 70. Yeah, 70, 70 as well. He, when were you born? Uh, March 21st. I'm August, but, so you're older than me. Yeah. You got yeah, me by a few but, months. Yeah. And Brian. I felt you were my I, senior. I know, but I, uh, at least But I we did. would have been in the same class, bro. That's right. They wouldn't have separated us. It's not like you had, you missed the November cutoff. We That's would have been right. in the same grade. That's right. You graduated in 88? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Class of 88. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Brian might have too, because he was born December of 69. Who? Brian who? Uh, you're Brian. Brian O'Halloran. Brian O'Halloran. Yeah. yeah no. And if, did he Wait, go to did he grow up? 69, he would have been a year ahead of us. But yeah. did he go to East Brunswick High? No, he didn't go no, there. Right. I don't know where he yeah. grew up. That's where he was oh, living when we right. shot the movie. I got you. Yeah. And so uh, we've got these amazing connections, but I just wanted to point out. Wait, isn't that where your your wife went? No, she's from Hohokus. Hohokus. Yeah. Yeah. She went to some Catholics. I was trying to put the math together. I was like, are you trying to figure out if your wife fucked Brian <laughs> don't, don't worry about it, man. She loves you. That guy. <laughs> Believe me, it happens to me all the time. Every once in a while, I'm in traffic. I'm like, did my wife f Brian O'Hallor? <laughs> and I pull over, and I really have to think about it. And then go on with you my do deck. The math on it. Yeah, I'm like, like, you know no, what? I say 89. We're okay. We're and if okay. she did, so be it. I right. still love her, and I go back home, and I right. say, by the way, did you? And she's like, no. <laughs> so obviously, to conclude, Lee is wrong because down the street from me in East Brunswick, New Jersey, was a guy named Kevin Smith. Another one. Another one. Is it the Kevin one who Smith. became the football player? Uh, no. No. There's a football player. No, nope, no, nope, just a random. Just a dude. rando. There might yeah, be yeah, yeah. a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So we're gonna. Bring Anytime up you call like a credit card company, you know, the name Kevin Smith, like dress, 
like uh, New Jersey, they're like, keep going. Yeah. They gotta really <laughs> yeah. laser focus it down. Yeah, Jenk and I have, you know, uh, Ben Mankiewicz, Jenk Uger, it's pretty quick. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. my yeah. God, yeah. what a dream. Yeah, yeah. It was oh, yeah you guys dreamed, dreamed of a name Jenk Uger spelled with a C. What a dream. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your, your dream can come true too, everybody, okay? It's color though, at least people are like, hey, that's different, that's different. Yeah. Well, that's definitely true, okay. So, I'm glad, I'm, aren't you glad you never acquiesced though, if nobody ever acquiesced and said like, look, Sounds like Jay. Why don't we just make it a Jay? Like fuck you at C. C until right. the end. Yeah, yeah. So you well, thought about? Am I you, glad? Did no, you think about I, changing it to Jay? I right? did think about it, but yeah, I'm from Jersey, so I didn't. You couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's true. Yeah. Uh, There's I got, a certain authenticity coming from that state. Have we found that? Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. It's, it's credibility true. without having to say a word, and it's because of shit that you didn't even do. It's because of like mob movies and and and, and like just Jersey history. There, there's a there's an odd sense of trust for people from that place. It's true, but they, it's actually in the culture. I mean, growing up, I think it was. Why in the is culture. that? Yeah, um, maybe it's the Italians. I don't know. Right? It, could, it could very well be because the state is largely. We were not. We were Irish. We were the other small percentage. But um, I think it has something to do with this. When you grow up in the shadow of New York, yeah, you right. are like the little brother to like the star athlete in school. Mm -hmm. Everyone talks about that mother. And every once in a while, they're like, "Oh, you, you, you live near that cat, right?" right. So Jersey is like, we just happen to be next to the most important city on the planet, and because of that, I think you tend to try harder. People from Jersey try That's harder. Interesting. I like that theory. I think that theory is true. It might hold. It definitely holds for companies. I try harder because I'm from <laughs> New Jersey, but also just in the work in general. It's just like. You, it's not like you got a chip on your shoulder, but you always feel like you have something a little extra to prove because you grew up next to. Oh, there's a huge, it. there's a huge chip. Yeah, on, uh, and it's not just that; it's also because everybody dumps on Jersey. True. So you you have this kind of fighting attitude, like, oh yeah, f you, right? It's so which true. is like the most Jersey thing you could ever and say. And the thing you bring up, Jack, which is that in addition to all those things which are true, you throw in that it is in many ways. The best demonstration of what America is, Jersey you know, is? from because every it is this immigrant melting pot. Oh, you know, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's filled with Jews. See, it's filled, go, keep going. Give it. This is I've never heard this theory. Mm -hmm. Go, go, go. You grew up with people from oh, yeah. Turkey, from China, from Korea, from all over India, the world. Jews, right, and the, Irish, Italians. So we had we had Packy Harold, Kevin Smith. This is my elementary school. Frank Niglio, Angelo Mutorelli, <laughs> Dave Smella. I mean, that is like know. the ideal cast of a 2019 movie. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's so much diversity there. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Uh, Arun Sanuti, Sanjeev Kikawala. You were in a more, <laughs> you were in a far more many, uh, flavorful version of Jersey than I was. I was in the very white section of Jersey where everybody was just it was it looked like Alaska. It was white as far as the eye could see. But yeah. unlike many uh, suburbs in America, there all these people were living together in a lot of parts of Jersey, whereas you know, in, in other places they would sort of just arrange themselves racially. I mean, I don't have the demographics to back this up, but from you and from Craig and from just that that seems to be the case. Obviously there were some, you know, with yeah, your parents being racist gross. and all, obviously they kept you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, obviously. Mom's sitting yeah. at home going like, I can't wait to watch you online, Tiger. <laughs> she sees herself called a racist, she's yeah. like, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're supposed to get the, your new movie, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, which we're going to when we show the trailer. But of the several connections that you and I have that's gonna blow your mind, let me give you one right off the bat. Okay. Uh, my dad owned the Red Bank Mini Mall. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. Where the Fantasy Zone was. Yeah, yeah. 
How long? So he, uh, look at how like, did you see how engaged I was? I was like, what? I know because it's like almost as if like my father was King Tut. I'm like, what? (laughs) I've heard of King Tut. I know that mall. I spent so much time in the mini mall as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because I know you're from there, and so. Anyone who lived anywhere near Red Bank knows the Red Bank Mini Mall. I lived in Highlands, and just to just to explain to those watching, like, why is this a big deal? Highlands, uh, you would take a bus to Red Bank to hang out at the Mini Mall. <laughs> yeah. And then if you wanted to go to the Big Boy Mall in, in Eatontown, Monmouth Mall, then you have to take another bus to get there. But it was the focus of uh, teenage activity, particularly because right there was the comic book store, Fantasy Zone. That's right. Guy That's who right. worked in Fantasy Zone, Dave Windorf. Went on to be the lead singer of Monster Magnet. He's got a suit from a music video, had a bunch of light bulbs all over it, that's in a casino, what is it, the, the uh, Hard Rock Casino in Vegas. Anytime I go in there, I look at it, I'm like, that's the guy that used to sell me my comic books. Right, and Lord that guy also actually coincidentally f- Ben's wife. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, Ben's like be looking a- online doing the math going, wait a second. That's gonna be a theme tonight. Another um, one. Yeah, as it is most weeks. Uh, <laughs> uh, so no, he he uh, owned that like from, uh, when he first came, it's like 79 probably to 83 or so. Those are my prime years. Yeah, yeah. And they got and, an arcade in it now. So he managed it, he, he owned a small piece of it. And the, the the Amazing Randy was there, the magician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember as a Boy Scout, my dad took us to the mini mall to meet Amazing Randy, etc. And then uh, he sold that and bought the Eatontown Executive Center. Uh, which one was that? So that's like the biggest building in Eatontown, which is like- Where Brian, uh, well, Ming and Mike have their offices there. My, my two friends, the guys who were on Comic Book Man, they got a podcast company um, and they run it out of, uh, out of that building. That building is across the street from where my old man took me to get my first haircut. There was a guy named Vinny the Barber that used to be like of in course. this tiny place, right? <laughs> totally, right. totally Vinny the Barber. In Jersey, really. Right. He put me on like, you know, on these right. seats, like the barber chairs, I got this. They had to put a plank across this and I sat on top. They give you a lollipop when you're done. That's where I found my first comic books. Uh, Batman, a Spider-Man, and a sad sack. So I'm interested because you, you've now twice mentioned uh, comic books, mm. obviously a big part of your life growing up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I just read this I didn't know. You sold your collection to make clerks? Back in the day, How yeah. tough a decision was that? Not tough at all because it was the bridge to the future, I assumed. I was like, well, look, I got to make this movie. Um, if I don't, I'm gonna die. I was real emo about it. Like, if I don't make this, I'm gonna die. <laughs> so I, I, you know, loved my comics, but I was like, well, why did you buy two of everything if not for investment purposes? Right, you know right. what I'm saying? You bagged and boarded it and shit. So this is the time. And I made up, you know, I went through the buyer's guide and I didn't even use like the really expensive one. I took the low end one and priced my entire collection. It was like $10,000 worth of books. So I took it around, tried to sell it at a few conventions. Nobody was buying. Took it to a few comic book shops. They were like, that's way too much money. So there's one comic book store in Middletown, New Jersey. I don't think they're still there anymore. Comics Plus. Um, They were like, we'll give you $2,000 store credit for this. (laughs) And I was like, all right. So I took my store credit, and I would sell it off to Walter Flanagan, the guy who was uh, the lead in Comic Book Man, the TV show we did for years. Walter would then buy $200 worth of comics and give me like 180. So he took like 20% off and stuff. So I didn't even get $2,000 from my collection. I got about 1,800 when all was said and done. But those uh, payments went into pay off my credit card minimums on the movie. So and you, you'd read, like you maxed out a bunch of credit cards. I like did. I had a bunch of credit cards. Me and my friend <laughs> Brian Johnson, another guy who was on Comic Book Men, 
We uh, went to Brookdale Community College. You know Brookdale? Yeah. Sure. They yeah, call it's in Lincroft. Yeah. The Tigers, right? Yes. No, yeah. I don't even know if they have a team. <laughs> they call it, they disparage it and where we're from, they call it the University of Southern Lincroft. It's a two-year college, an associate's degree program. So me and my friend Brian Johnson are going there. Can't get like a four-year bachelor. <clears throat> we're trying to get an education in criminology and juvenile justice, because we were thinking about being Batman for a minute. <laughs> so we're going to the school. And um, they've got all these credit card ads when you walk in. I don't even know if it's like that anymore. But they were really trying to get kids hooked on credit. So you could apply for anything. And so one day me and Brian are sitting in the quad and we're like, let's have a race and see who could get more credit cards. Oh, Jesus. And so we started applying like fucking really crazy. Idea. This is fun. We didn't realize. <laughs> what could go wrong? I know, we didn't realize it would ruin our credit. But I worked at the video store, the one that's in the movie. Right. So I would write that like I was the manager of RST video and I made $50,000 a year in 1991. Right, what did so, you really make? Oh, for an hour, yeah, right. an hour. <laughs> so I, I don't think anyone ever got $50,000 to manage a video store. So I, I would be the guy, only guy in the store. Invariably, they called do a credit finance check and they're like, we're calling a check on Kevin Smith. And I'm like, oh, that's my manager. I pay him $50,000 a year. <laughs> So they would send me credit cards. So I beat Brian, he got three and I had 12. Yeah. And I never used them because my mom was like, credit's the devil, you can't use that. You gotta use paper only. So I let him sit in a drawer until I saw Richard Linklater's movie Slacker and then I got into independent film. I was like, oh shit, maybe I wanna make a movie. Then a lot of uh, filmmakers at that point were starting to get into the credit cards to finance movies, put some of the movie on the credit card. And I'd heard about Robert Townsend who had directed a movie called Hollywood Shuffle that I love, it's real funny. He put the money, his half the movie on his own credit card. So I knew it was kind of possible. So I used the credit cards and I used the comic book payments to pay off the minimums of the credit cards and juggled a lot of plates until the movie got bought and then suddenly I didn't have to think about it. But you know, you say that it was an easy decision and you know, this was, you were very all emotional about it, you gotta make this movie, but you know, look, I work at Turner Classic Movies for a, a, move, a network that, that like really understands the value of nostalgia. Yeah. You know, okay, uh, Jenk doesn't throw anything, it's really hard. It's hard for people to give up the thing they love, even though of course it was the right decision. Yeah. I, I, I do funerals for my clothes. Yeah. I Look, I'm a <laughs> pack I'm not rat. kidding, I got my kids into it. I'm you. with you, I am my, I, I'm the very same person, I save everything. I'm a true pack rat, a hoarder if you will. Um, but rat. this was easy, and I'm all right. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was easy to let go of because it just seemed like the bridge. I was like, look, I need cash. We were poor, like we were raised really lower, 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 lower middle class, I like to say, but really we were just flat out poor. So like there was no help coming. So at that point I'm like, you got all this money tied up in comic books. And like I was never buying golden or silver age book. It was all modern stuff. Right. So I was like, use that. Like if you really, if you're serious about this like, you know, you won't care. You could always replace a comic book. And then I did over the years, I rebought anything I wanted to buy, but I never collected like that again. I did buy a comic book store though. I've had one for 22 years now. So, so it's I, kind of like having a collection that people pick through. Yeah. I want to show the trailer, but I can't resist but just add to this uh, one question. So, so you make the movie, mm -hmm. you think it kicks ass, of course, right? I mean, no. you're not sure. <laughs> I, I hope, I don't even, I don't think I ever once was like, this movie kicks ass, but I felt like, this movie's mine. Like, yeah, I know that feeling. Like, yeah. like I, yeah. I made. If I don't make this, this don't exist. And it's on my dime, and it's on my time. It was my dreams. Like this. Like before I had a kid, 
this was the closest thing to like this, nobody else can speak for this but me, this is like mine. And even if nothing happens to it, I made some art, some weird art and shit. So yeah, yeah, I was I was into it, but I never thought like everyone else will like it. I knew I did though. Yeah, no, I love I love that and I totally get it. You're like, well, right or wrong, this is what I intended. Yeah. I did it. Now I'm gonna give it a shot and let's see what we got, right? Mm. So you do that. When when does it work? Like when do you know first time. Uh -huh. Like well, first screening, it didn't. We were gunning toward a thing called the IFFM, the Independent Feature Film Market. I'd read an article uh, in the Village Voice by Amy Talbin. She had talking about Richard Linklater, how at the 1991 IFFM, Richard Linklater was the filmmaker all the other filmmakers wanted to be. And this article kind of tracked the history of Slacker, how much he paid for it, what he did to get it made. It was like a treasure map. It was literally like being like, oh my God, all I have to do is follow this line and there's the X, it's and right he, there. And he shot that in Austin. In right? Austin. Right, which is, and, and that told you. That, that you well, that what told, well, here, it told me that I'm, I'm dipshit. Cause when I, <laughs> when I heard this, I was like, this boy made this movie in Austin, Texas, Bumble Texas. Nobody knows Wervesville, Texas. <laughs> like if he can make a movie in Bumble Backwoods, near, 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 <laughs> Texas. Austin. Why can't I make one in New Jersey? And it's a good thing that I was so ignorant of geography because if I'd known, like Austin's the capital of Texas, and <laughs> UT is there. And if you were ever gonna make a movie in right. Texas, it was probably gonna be in Austin. But I didn't know that, so it inspired me. I was like, he's doing his thing, and he's singing a song in his backyard against all odds, all these hayseeds trying to stop him. And <laughs> <laughs> I was inspired by this Horatio Alger who really had an easy time making his movie. So it inspired me. I was like, if he could do it in, in Texas, I think I could do it in, in Jersey. And and so he, he was the key for me. You gotta, you know, see it in order to be it, right? And he was the guy I saw do it. And I was like, ooh, that's possible. Yeah. So about 20 minutes in, uh, I now tell you that Kevin Smith, uh, if you've been living under a rock, uh, has done clerks, small rats, chasing Amy Dogma, Jane Silent. Bob, Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Uh, so we got, oh, sorry, and now we've got Jay and Silent Bob reboot. That's the new movie. Yeah. So let's show you the trail. Don't tell me you guys have no idea there's a new comic book movie being made of the old comic book movie you two are the basis for. That old ass star studded piece of that movie sucked. Your Honor, I object. I'll allow it. That movie did suck. We got three days to get to Hollywood and stop this reboot from ever happening. Boys, I had a baby. Jay, brace yourself. You're about to meet our love child. I think I'm gonna need to see a blood test. No, Jay. This is my daughter, Millennium Falcon. Can you take us to Hollywood with you? No, man. It's a tough-ass neighborhood. Either you take us to Hollywood or I stab you both to death on my own front lawn. And on that note, we cue the music. Glad you guys are smoking back there. I was driving someone about a week ago and he took a uh, big You have no idea how hard it is to get the smell out of pleather. Yo, Methods, let's do this. Yay, it's Jay and Silent Bob. I just found out I have a kid, but I don't know how to be a father. Anybody can be a father, but only love can make you a dad. How are you going to talk about love and you?
over the place. That's only, bro. What do you guys think about this reboot? It sucks. There, I said it. And who's directing this anyway? Kevin Smith? Smells like this reboot went up in smoke. What? Um, I've been cursing. Am I not allowed to curse? Because no, they cut out all the clips. I know. I think people got it. But no, uh, no, I'm not saying like I'm offended. Like, please no. play the curses. But yeah. I've been sitting here, yeah, cursing no, no, my full head off. No, because I can curse, but the show, movie can't curse. Every other show on the network can't curse, so that's probably why they bleeped it. So this one can curse, but this one can't curse. Yeah. So Good to know. Uh, but I, I, I feel I'm bad nothing for you. without curses. Yeah. Did you? Could you? Find any famous people from the movie though? No, yeah. I don't know anybody. That's the problem. That's why I can't get ahead in this business, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, believe me, that's like a life. That's twenty-five years of work, right? Like yeah. you get a long tail like that, you meet some cats and stuff. But also, the heart attack played a big part because I'd ask people, I was like, "Hey, man, you want to come down to New Orleans for two hours and shoot in our movie?" And they'd be like, "New Orleans, it's awfully far, bro." And I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I understand." You do realize almost. Died last year, right? And they're like, all right, I'm coming, I'm coming. So they would show up. So the heart attack should get casting credit on the movie. Um, we had 22 cameos in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and then headed down to New Orleans. We didn't think we'd get anybody to show up. This time around, we had 45 cameos. So it was really nice. So, uh, and Affleck. Yeah, he came and that, back. And that came out of there a long time. You guys didn't communicate? I, didn't sp I hadn't spoken to him in close to. Like 10 years, man. When was Argo? How many years ago now? At this Argo point? was uh, 2000, I don't know, 10, 11. It was the nine, last time eight, I saw him seven. in real life was at the Argo premiere, and I was walking out, and, and uh, he looked at me, he was talking to somebody, and went like that, and I was like, and he <laughs> smiled. And then I remember sending him an email when he got cast as Batman. I was like, holy crap. Like, you're playing Batman? I have a podcast called Fat Man on Batman. Guess what we talk about? <laughs> and uh, I said, come over to your house, because I bought his house years ago. I said, come over to your old house. Even though it's been my house for 18 years, we still call it Ben's house. He, he owned it for like one year. Right. And still, it's like, oh, it's Ben's house. I said, come over to your old house, and we'll do a podcast. And he was like, all right. He's like, I'm, I'm doing a movie with Fincher right now. When I'm done, I'll hit you up. And that was Gone Girl. And then I never heard from him again. Mm -hmm. So I never reached out to him because I was afraid, like, oh, shit, like maybe we're not friends. And it's one thing to not know. Ignorance is bliss. But if I reached out and I was like, hey, man, are we friends anymore? He's like, no, that really would have hurt. So I just <laughs> let it go. And for years, people have been like, how's Ben? I was like, I don't know. I ain't seen him in years. I don't know if we're friends anymore. And so it went like that for a long, long time. And when I wrote this movie, I didn't write Ben into it because I was like, right. I ain't spoken to him in years. No way I'm going to reach out and be like, hey, you want to come do this flick? So holding the character that he played in Strike Back wasn't even in the script. And we were three weeks into the movie, and there's a guy, Kevin McCarthy. He's a entertainment journalist. He reviews movies for, like, Fox and Washington, D.C. Yeah, I know that guy. He fucking wife. So he asked another one. <laughs> and you know what? For the record, let's just say it's Ben's wife who's doing the okay, <laughs> right? yeah, just yeah. She's Female a lady on top. Yes. We all know. Exactly. Yeah. Don't take that away from her. Yeah, um, so he was... Uh, By the way, she's going to be so thrilled with this. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, he's. you know this what? Is, is a, is a terrible know. Jersey name and he's a terrible Jersey human being as well. Yeah. No, no, but the whole time she's saying, you're talking about Ben Affleck. Can't say that one for Ben's wife. <laughs> yeah, right. she, yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ben. 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 Ben did not. Fuck Ben's wife. <laughs> but but ben Ben's did. wife. <laughs>
kick the shit out of Ben. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, come on. And that's a true statement. You can clip that up, put that out, and that would be true. That would they be don't true. know what Ben I'm talking they about. They don't know. They have no idea. Kingsley. Okay. Yes. That's right. <laughs> so, so okay, Kevin McCarthy. So Kevin McCarthy, he's interview. He does the, this cute thing whenever he interviews people on Junkets. If they, he likes the movies I've made. If he's talking to somebody who's been in one of my movies, he generally opens with a Kevin Smith type joke. So Matt Damon, he'll say, "Oh, hey man, when are you guys making Goodwill Hunting Two Hunting Season?" And Matt will be like, "What is he talking?" And then he's like, "Oh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back," and he's like, "Oh, you know Kevin." And the interview gets a little more comfortable and shit like that. So I've seen him do it for years. I love it. It's free publicity for me. The kids keep my name out there when nobody cares anymore. So I love it when he does it. He did it to Affleck. We're in week three of our production. Affleck was promoting uh, Triple Frontier for Netflix. Kevin McCarthy opens with like just an innocuous Buscu question where he's like, hey, they're making Reboot right now. Did anybody call you yet? Uh -huh. And Ben, go, without missing a beat, he goes, no, nobody called me and I'm not busy. <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone on production was just like, did you hear that? Like, did you see him? He said that thing. He said, you, want, you should call him. And I was like, you people are nuts. That's just some nice shit to say to junk it. What is he supposed uh -huh. to say? Oh, Kevin Smith? Him. By the way, <laughs> watch Triple Frontier on Netflix. Like he's there to sell a movie. He's just going to be nice and shit. So I didn't think anything of it. And a week later, Jason Mewes kept bugging me. He's like, you should reach out, bro. He's like, what if he's really trying to be in touch? What if he, what if he, that was meant for you to hear and stuff? So I was like, you know what? I'll tweet him. That's the best I could do for you guys. And so I put together this tweet and I was just about to send it. And then Jason Muse's wife, Jordan, she runs our company. She's a producer on the movie. She was like, don't tweet him, that's tacky. She's like, especially if you haven't talked to him in years, text him. And I was like, I got four numbers, I don't know if any of them work. She goes, pick one. <laughs> so I picked one and I said, this still you? And then uh, he goes, who? And I wrote BA with a question mark. And he wrote back, yeah, this is your father. And right then and there, I was like, that sounds like Affleck. That's kind of <laughs> he says, like, I'm your father. So he goes, who's this? And I was like, well, this conversation might end right here. Um, I said, KS. And there's a long pause. And then he goes, Kevin? I said, yes. And he goes, how the hell are you? And I said, uh, great. I was going to send you this tweet. I'll just dump it here. And so the tweet that I had written, or which became the text, I said, hey, man, we're all having a blast in the past down here in New Orleans. Wish you were here. I said, but ever since the heart attack, I don't wish for more. I said, so I'm just going to ask, will you please come play with us, man? It would be so fun to hang out with you and stuff like that. And I quote the good King Osric from Conan the Barbarian <laughs> when I say, like, uh, there comes a time, thief, where the jewels cease to sparkle and the gold loses its luster and the throne room becomes as a prison and all an old director wants is to make pretend with his friends. And so I sent it and I realized, oh, shit, I ain't dealt with him since i become a massive stoner. He's not going to understand this at all. He's going to read this text and be like, he's lost his mind. So I was waiting for a long beat. You could drive a truck through the amount of time it took for him to respond. Those three little dots came up, and I was like, oh, I fucked up. And then finally he wrote back the most Affleck thing in the world. He said, it's so telling that you still think of yourself as a king. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, he Go goes, back. I would love to come play. So Kevin McCarthy asking that dopey question like got me Affleck for the scene in the movie, which is like the best scene in the movie and really elevated the flick. But he also got me my friend back, man. Like it was really, really kind of really nice. sweet. Yeah. So Kevin, you know, I'm actually kind of blown away by that because I figured once you're famous, like you don't have to give a shit. But like- You like, don't, but you do if you wanna be, look, you can be famous and not give a shit. 
first off, let's establish, I don't know what it's like to be famous. I'm quasi-famous at best. But I imagine you could be famous and not give a shit. But it's tough to be a human and not give a shit. And uh -huh. like I would I would think about him for years, man. Like like I would go like, and I'd even say it out loud to Jay from time to time. I was like, all that time we all spent together making movies, like, didn't it mean anything? I said, was it just us? Like, I get it. He's on to bigger, better things, but like shit. So it did like eat at me and stuff like that. And so that little opening, I was glad that my friends pushed me into like reaching out to him and stuff. It it was nice to have that part of me back. You know, I could be really romantic about the whole thing and be like, I had a heart attack because there was a missing piece of my heart that I got back. And, you know, it wouldn't be all that gross to say something like that, man. It yeah. was kind of sweet, you know, uh, really, yeah. the universe provided. Had, had you not worked with him since, am I wrong about this? The last time I worked with him was uh, Clerks 2 in 2006. He was in Clerks 2? For so, like a brief scene. Very so it was brief. not Jersey Girl? That was prior to Clerks 2. Yeah. So Jersey Girl and then Clerks 2. Okay, I have a lot of things to say. And speak, and I once yelled at you. I still haven't gotten to that story. And in the so, public? Yeah, very much in public, and so that's an awesome <laughs> freaking what? story, and I still haven't gotten to it. Why did I do? Uh, no, you're gonna love the story. You're gonna love the story. I guarantee. <laughs> no, no, it's a real thing. It was a real thing, and it's actually related to the song in the beginning of the show, etc. But I gotta show you one more clip from uh, Jane's uh, Silent Bob reboot because uh, it's such a fun movie. Let's watch uh, one clip here. A reboot, boys, is when Hollywood wants to make a lot of money without the hassle of creating a new movie. So they take an old movie and change just enough to make you pay for the same all over again. Those greedy animals. Oh, it's insidious. They take a flick you loved as a kid and add youth and diversity to it. For example, name the movie where a robot has secret plans that could help the good guys beat the bad guys and their leader in a black mask by blowing up a giant ray gun in space. Star Wars. No, The Force Awakens. See, now that's what you call a reboot. Nung. I thought that was a sequel. Hollywood doesn't make sequels anymore. They don't even make squeakles, yo. Studios have given up on new ideas entirely in favor of building multi-movie universes that breed brand-loyal customers from cradle to grave. So if you like Harry Potter, cash Shinigus, you're getting 10 f***ing more. You like the Fast and Furious flicks? We're gonna drive the franchise into the ground, bitch. Oh, you want another Marvel movie? Here we go. Hey, man, those Marvel movies are a triumph of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Although they kind of are. Well, can we, uh, before you tell your story then, can I ask a question? Or yes, do we want to say goodbye on. to some people? Uh, yeah. yeah. Who's so leaving? We're, we're doing Audience. this in uh, Shay. You got to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, uh, Ben's wife uh, <laughs> is leaving. Leaving to me. go meet. That's right. Give ben him a Affleck. chance to leave to go meet literally anyone. Kevin <laughs> <laughs> McCarthy. A series of other Ben's. Okay. No, uh, we do this in part. So, YouTube audience, if you want to get the whole show, tyt.com slash join. See you. Okay. So, so let me ask you. So then you got that line in there. So uh, given your love of uh, of uh, comic books, and I don't know whether you're particular to DC or I guess DC because you're the you're a Batman guy. Ultimately. I love them all. Love I, them all. I, look, I'm partial to DC, but those Marvel movies are amazing. So you know you're a, a filmmaker, a, you know, an independent, and you sort of define your generation of independent filmmaking in oh many my ways. God. Um, How sweet are you? Um, so more people should say, say that. So when you uh, read like what Scorsese says, right. about how do you react? Like, no, I don't lose an ounce of sleep. Good I'm job. not like, what? <laughs> he disagrees with the likes of me? Um, no. Here, look, I, I love Martin Scorsese as an artist. Uh, I, I met him once very briefly in passing, so it's not like I know him personally. But 
A, he's entitled to say whatever he wants, of course, and his opinion's valid. He's been talking like that for years, like he never liked action <laughs> movies, you right, know. Yeah. He would say that in the 90s, like this isn't real cinema and stuff like that. That all being said, and I'm not taking, I'm not taking anything away from I got the you. man. I've got you. That all being said, I can make the argument that he made the biggest superhero movie of all time, Last Temptation of Christ, because <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate oh. superhero. So he may not cop to it, but mm -hmm. Jesus bigger than Superman, way more powerful than Superman. Yeah. So I, you know, be careful, Marty. <laughs> be careful. No. Okay. Um, his he, wife will come and. Yes. Okay. Um, so, all right. So let's get to it. So here's the story. Yeah. And what? It's the, awesome that you don't remember. And this is our maybe door, I will. This our next door neighbor is, and I didn't think you would because it's incredibly minor in your life. That was a big part of mine in the beginning. Uh, and our next door neighbor is also going to be relevant to this. Okay. So uh, get a load of this. So I'm doing a public access show. Uh, that's how I got started in Washington D.C. And. Uh, I love your movies, and I know you're from Red Bank, right? Or you know Jersey, and I you were at that time you had an office in Red Bank. Okay? Yeah, yes, yeah, right, right, like right next to the Red Bank Mini Mall, etc. Yeah, right. Across and I'm trying to get anyone like to come on the show, etc. And I'm psyched because I got Eleanor Clift from the McLaughlin Group and Newsweek, so I'm like, we're getting I'm legit guests. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like I'm we're getting the McLaughlin folks. Right. I can get yeah. this local clown. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I think good. I know where this is going. Yeah. So uh, I because we got Eleanor Cliff. Yeah, <laughs> so great. Yeah, and we got Wendy Rieger, who was a local anchor in in, in Washington. So I'm on a roll. You're like, oh my right. god! Like, next up, if bushes. I keep, yeah, if I know, if I keep going like this, I could. Ben's wife. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're like, so, I can get Morton Kondracki. I think, I think that's who you said goodbye to when you were like, they're leaving us now. Ben's wife tuned us. I'm not listening to one more joke about who I would or wouldn't. F I'll tell you who I'm not. F ben Mankiewicz. He's gonna sleep in the garage. <laughs> that's the one thing we can establish from tonight. <laughs> so, uh, so I chase you down in Red Bank. Okay, because I, because, back. yeah, because my parents now have moved to Freehold, so I'm close by, right? Paint a picture of the mean streets of Red Bank for the home audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're lucky to walk by there without. They got a Tiffany there. Yeah. They got a restoration hardware. These are mean streets. Yeah, yeah. We're lucky to walk by without spending a lot of money in those stores. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Bruce Springsteen shot a, a, like a VH1 storyteller, shot, shot something there in Red Bank. He's, yeah. uh, he, I mean, he's, of course, you know, uh, as everyone associates associates him with Asbury Park because of the Stone Pony. Uh, originally, he's from Freehold, right? That's right. Which people don't really talk about in the mythos. They always kind of like. He's got Asbury a great Park song it. about Freehold that he basically called Freehold. That he basically only sings at sort of Jersey, Jersey fundraisers. Yeah. Yeah. He, did you go see his show? I mean, they did it on Netflix. And I stuff. saw it, it, and yeah, I saw it on Broadway. Yeah. So did I. Yeah. And spellbinding, expensive ass show yeah, worth right. every goddamn penny. Yeah, yeah, I had no. I, I grew up, you know, he grew up in New Jersey. He's patron saint and shit like that. My brother and sister had his album, so I inherited the albums. So you know him as this legend. I had no idea he was so funny and personable, and it makes sense because he's been on stage for a hundred years. That's right. Yeah. And you yeah. you develop a repartee with the audience, but yeah, like yeah, right. this man is so good at being Bruce Springsteen. Like right. it was it's so charming that yeah. whole night. But when he talked about like 
Freehold and the Nescafe factory. He's like, you know, you smell coffee all the time. I'm like, he's fucking, he ain't kidding. That's no, That's we so smell true. coffee at my dad's house. We, my favorite sub shop's right next to his house. That's so nice. whenever you go there, you smell the coffee and now you think of Bruce. Yeah. Right. He likes the smell, doesn't drink it though, hates the taste. He don't like yeah. coffee. Yeah. Don't like yeah. Taste. He's funny in the show where he talked about, like, yeah, I write songs about getting out. I got all the way out to free. He goes to Rumson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know Jersey's right next Couple to Couple towns away. Yeah. Couple towns. Yeah. I shared real estate, not real estate, but I live. Lived in Rumson for like a red hot minute for like one year. We had a house in Rumson and stuff, and it was around the block from where he lived. And I felt accomplished as a Jersey guy. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, no, no. To we me, share in code. my mind, living in Rumson is that's it. You made it. You and and I did it, and I was I was able to let it go. Some people were like, now I'm there for life. And we had it for a year, and I was like, the the Jersey kid in me, the kid who grew up in Highlands, yeah. like I did this for him. Like yeah. I wasn't like, I'm gonna stay here forever and stuff. My wife wanted to move to California and so I was obviously gonna follow my wife. But I felt the need to pay that kid back. The kid sent me on this journey and I've been living the dividends of his one little sacrifice and rolling of the dice of making clerks all that time ago. So I always spend the rest of my adulthood trying to like honor the wishes of that kid, that kid would have loved to live in Rumson. Yeah, yeah. So for a minute, it's, I lived in Rumson and be like, "Here you go, kid." It's funny because I remember as a Jersey kid, I was driving through Rumson and I saw that they had tennis courts with grass, yeah. and and I had never even seen Wimbledon at that point. I'm like, and I literally stopped the car and was like, "What the f is this?" <laughs> they, they have right? a they have a restaurant in Rumson uh, called. La Fromagerie, uh -huh. which roughly translated is cheese house. It's <laughs> um, a high-end restaurant. It's, it's, it's the community's really wonderful. I don't mean to knock it, but it's rich people. It's a lot, yeah. That's where Bon Jovi's house is. Well, he's uh -huh. on the Middletown side of the Rumson River and stuff, mm -hmm. but he's got yeah. this mass, or had, I think he might have sold it. It's massive look, French looking estate house and stuff like Filled that. Filled with cheese. Yeah, um, <laughs> a lot of cheese. Yeah, Bon Jovi grew up in Sarah. But wait, if I could go, go back to. Okay, so anyway. Red uh, Bank. So I go the to Red Bank, Red Bank and I'm like, I'm, I'm the guy who comes and knocks on the door and won't leave. Like, so in a sense, <laughs> almost the opposite of you. You're like, you're, you're like a little hesitant to reach out to Ben Affleck, et cetera. Yes. I'd have been like, Ben, 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 Ben. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I came and did that to you. And I was like, Kevin, 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 Kevin. And I don't think you were there because uh, I never actually you knocked met you on his person. door? In his office. In I didn't his, go to his uh, house. You go up a staircase. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember that yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. We were right and, across from the language school. Yeah. And somehow I got through to somebody who gave me your number and you agreed to come on the show. And back then it was called the Young Turk. Okay. So oh, a million shit. years ago. Okay. You were gonna, but you were doing it in Virginia. Yeah, I was doing it in Arlington, Virginia, but you were gonna call in. Okay. Uh -huh. So now you're not gonna come all the way down to Arlington, but you were gonna do me a solid and you were gonna call in. And so, and then uh, come seven o'clock uh, when we do the show live, right? Uh oh. And I called you. <laughs> and you I didn't answer. Now, hold, wait for the whole story. Can't wait. Okay. So I called you and I'm like, and you weren't there. And I'm like, what the f? And I'm, remember, I'm a rookie and I don't know, like, I'm so, I'm kind of nervous. And this is the biggest guest I've ever gotten in my life. You had Eleanor Clifton. You had Eleanor Clifton. What the f? Dude. <laughs> Newsweek. Yeah. <laughs> but Eleanor Cliff never f***ed Ben's wife. No. Okay, well, so. <laughs> give it a minute. <laughs> it's early in the night. <laughs> Eleanor was like, mm. <laughs> okay. anyway, so, and I had teased it. Like I told the audience, Kevin Smith's gonna be on, Kevin Smith's gonna be on, oh, etc. And I call you and you're not there. And I got so pissed, I'm Turkish as it is, right? <laughs> and so I- Oh, I'm, is that why it's the Young Turk? 
Originally, that's why it was the Young Turk, because I was told to come up with a name on the spot. And I was like, uh, I don't know. And then later when we did this show, like many, many years later, we're like, oh, it means young progressives looking to overthrow yeah, the established yeah, yeah. system. We're like, yeah, that's it, right? Which is probably a mistake. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so uh, and then I, so I got so pissed at that moment and I called you back on the air. And I was like, okay, Kevin Smith, big shot, what the f you said you'd come on and you didn't come on. I'm sure I took that very well. <laughs> yeah, you did. You called me back the next day and said, I thought it was 7 a.m. <laughs> oh, I've never been more mortified in my life. I was like, no. That's so I had burned you, even though it was my mistake. I was like, I'm never going to recover. It's, um, a, it worked out. We're all here. B, it sounds like a fishy. And save on young Kevin Smith's part going, oh, I thought you meant 7 a.m. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I'm just saying. I swear I, I never was, even thought of that. I was very familiar with young Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's. Come to think of it, why would it be 7 a.m.? Yeah. <laughs> what I know about young Kevin Smith, he always hated to be wrong. So any way he could find to be right would work for him. Oh, shit. That was a, such a good save on your part. I felt bad about that for 20 years. You needn't, you needn't have. I, I can't remember, I might have gotten off the phone and been like, what a save. <laughs> so uh, then my mom, like a week later or whatever, gets a call in their freehold house hmm. from Warren Littlefield, who used to run NBC yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah. Okay, and I'm dying for a break. I'm dying, I'm, and I'm like, Warren Littlefield called, and she's like, "Who is that?" And she's like, "I don't know." It was Why like, did he call? Well, like, it's like Warren Buttercup or something. I'm like, Buttercup? What the? F oh my God, Warren Littlefield? She's like, "Yes." And so, did he leave a number? No. I'm like, no. Okay. And and then I realized, ain't no Warren Littlefield calling me. And how the f would Warren Littlefield get my number in Freehold? And, and, and also, the president of NBC News, etc. NBC, right? right. But well, I'm not NBC why, News, NBC, yeah. Why would Warren Littlefield also, if he did call, I think he'd leave a number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I got this assume. far, but foiled by you not being here, I'm <laughs> yeah. just gonna let the dream die. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, I swear to God, what I assumed immediately, like after I realized Warren didn't call, I was like, Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I him over, let me just <laughs> him a little further. <laughs> Hello, good lady, will you tell your son that Warren Littlefield is calling? Thank you. <laughs> I don't know why I assumed that, but it was immediately after our thing and I was like, oh, he's <laughs> and I, I was like, I see you, Kevin. I see you. Wouldn't that have required me to like track down your mother's phone number more than no, anything I, else? No, I must have given it to you. That's why I assumed it was you because I gave uh, the freehold number to you. Fair okay, and so it's a, now, real, it's a real amazing stretch. twist. You've heard of Occam's Razor, right? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Well, uh, so in an amazing twist, our next door neighbor now is Warren Littlefield. He's got a production company. It's literally right next door. He was a character on Seinfeld. Yeah, don't yeah, remember. yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, he's a character Bob, in real Bob, life. Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban yeah. played Could him. You, yeah. you know what? I should go over and be like, Bob Balaban played him twice. He played, played him in Seinfeld, and he played him in The Late Shift, I think. Oh, the 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 really good the Leno Letterman. Yeah, it was Leno really Letterman good. The book movie. was great, and the movie was yeah, good too. Yeah, that guy yeah. who played Letterman was so good. Letterman didn't like he it, but it was really good. From um. Uh, what is I the dog documentary? You know the um, 
Best in show. show. Right. Yeah. He's one half of the couple with. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. With uh, What's his name? Lenny and Squiggy, but not Squiggy. Oh, right. He's phenomenal. Yeah. He came to the festival, yeah. the TCM festival. I'm going to go over. Could you imagine? He's like, yeah, I did call. That'd be fantastic, <laughs> right? He's like, oh, you finally got my message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's combine forces here. That's probably why they opened the offices next door. Like, the only way I can get this Yuger kid. If he, had, right, yeah. he turns out. I've been like, tasting this kid for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he's like, he's like Kevin with Ben Affleck. He's like afraid to text me. <laughs> he's just like, I don't want an imposition. <laughs> John Michael Higgins, who's yes. you know, phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, He's yeah. in all the the um, what's Chris Gas movies. Chris Gas yeah, yeah. movies. Like Best in Show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that that's a the late shift is worth a watch. If folks have HBO, I think it's on HBO. It probably now. is on HBO Go or now or yeah, HBO Go. One of those. Go, it's yeah. so good. Really well done. It was directed by. Uh, Betty Thomas. That's right, Betty. She who used did, to who be did on Hill Street Blues. She was an actress, right? And she directed uh, Howard Stern's. Movie. Yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, of course. Uh, but uh, I'm like, you know a lot about movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anybody interested? Turn to me like half an hour from now. You know a lot about politics. <laughs> yeah, but like well, you guys have your bases covered. <laughs> good movies, good shows that are sort of accurately. Uh, get the idea of television yeah. production or movie production are rare, but when they get it right, they're so good because there's you know the, it's always crazy and interesting and high pressure. That one and felt high very uh, Howard Hawksian. That yeah, did it for, did for, for, for it was, and it was an early HBO TV movie. You know HBO has become a gold standard, but like this was when they were still like yeah they only had we're like going to two shows in one exactly. Right, yeah. So let's go back and finish that story. So you, you the first mm. screening you said. Didn't work out or something, and then the and then like when was it like that you knew oh shit, this movie's not just something I love right Clerks but right. but like this is gonna work oh my god I this I'm gonna be a director holy shit, I might even be rich I knew I was I was, well I was a director already at that point I'd never directed anything until Clerks but my sister um, she had gone to do you remember in the 70s and 80s. There was a, a like a in personal empowerment seminar called EST. Yeah, sure, of course. Warner Earhart's Earhart seminar training. Did and you watch so, the Americans at all? No. Did they talk about it on that it show? Big, first of all, it's brilliant, great, great. I know great. a lot but of they, people want to know love one, that show. One Wait, they things, did EST? Yeah, the guy he does EST and like really connects it, like really helps him. The, That's the, for the Russian dude? Rice character. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, genius. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they used to do this thing where, like, you know, my sister went to Est. I never went to Est. I went to this other offshoot called the Forum. But my sister went to it, and they would do stuff where, like, you know, it was about, it was kind of Tony Robbins and totally, yeah. I guess, a little yeah. like. So, like, she told me about this one exercise where they get you up on stage, and there's like 300 people in the room, and everyone strips down to like a bathing suit. And then all 299 people in the room come up and literally like go over every pore of your body, looking as close as possible. That's and she's like, happen. well, by the third or fourth person, she's like, you're broken of this like, oh my God, my, you know, it don't matter anymore. And then it's your yeah. turn and you're looking at other motherfuckers and stuff. And I was like, that's interesting. So I told her once after I saw Richard Linklater's movie Slacker, I said, I wanna be a filmmaker. And I hadn't told many people. I told my sister, she's like, what have you been up to lately? She was always very, Progressive, and she was in school and super smart and stuff. She's like, "What are you up to?" <clears throat> and I was like, I'm, I, "I saw this movie, and I think I want to be a filmmaker now." And she goes, "Be a filmmaker then." I said, I, "That's the idea. I'm going to be a, a filmmaker. I think that's what I want to do." She goes, "Then be a filmmaker." I was like, "I 
Yes, that's what I. What kind of Jedi mind trick is being played here? And she's like, just she's like, get in your underwear. I'm coming by and bring yeah. two hundred ninety. Like, These ain't the droids you're looking for. As she said, just be a filmmaker. Never mind, you're gonna be a filmmaker. You want to be a filmmaker? Just be a filmmaker. And everything that you think and every move that you make and the rest of the Sting lyrics, just like you are a filmmaker. You're not. You're not gonna be. She goes, you're a filmmaker. You just haven't made a film yet. And it sounded very like. You know, like artsy fartsy. But the next day, I gave it a shot. I was like, all right, it's cost nothing literally to try this. So I just put on the, you know, all right, I'm a filmmaker. I just haven't made my film yet. And damn it if it didn't work and stuff. So my sister, like, was very, very influential. Um, and when I made the flick, I remember she saw it and she was like worried about the language. She was like, that's a lot of bad language. And she was like, does mom know you curse that much? And I was like, I didn't curse at all in the movie. I played Silent Bob. <laughs> yeah, right. like She's it. like, but you wrote it all and stuff. So I didn't, I wasn't sure. We were going for the IFFM like Richard had done. That was the only roadmap I had. I was like, I'll just You're do going for the did. what? The independent feature no, film yeah, market. Right, right. This is even before Sundance. Sundance mm -hmm. happened later. And I wasn't planning on Sundance or even thinking about it. The IFFM, the independent feature film market, they do it every year at the Angelica. Um, is run by the IFP, the Independent Feature Project. Richard had brought his movie there as a work in progress. So I was like, I'm going to finish my movie, bring it there. You're supposed to pack the theater with as many potential distributors or press as possible. And then hope the good things happen. It's not a festival, more of a marketplace. So that's what we were gunning for. We made the movie, got it done, had a screening slot. They put us in the last possible slot, last day of the week, which I read as a good sign. I was like, they must know the movie rocks. <laughs> they saved the best for last. And it was a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Nobody goes right. on Sunday morning yeah. at 11 a.m. So we were in a dead empty theater except for the people who made the movie with us, about 10 of us who all worked on the movie. There's one other guy sitting up front. That guy, Bob Hawk, was the dude who started talking about the movie to people. He had talked to Mosier, my producer, after the movie and said, like, I really like that. But he, everyone had badges and it didn't say like a badge, like it was Miramax or Fine Line. He was just a guy that said ICI, so like we didn't think anything of it. He's like, you should really apply to Sundance. Next day, morning after that disastrous screening, and mind you, I was working toward that screening. And I remember watching the movie for the first time on the big screen, first 10 minutes of Clerk's theatrical life, I, I was in hell. I was just like, oh my God, the theater's empty, nobody's here, everyone on screen keeps cursing. Why, why, won't, why did I let this happen? And the whole thing looks like it was shot through a glass of milk. My mom's gonna be so mad, like, oh, what was I thinking? And so 15 minutes in the movie, I cognitively reframed the whole thing, and I was like, you know what? Like, you started this journey because, like, two years ago, you saw Slacker in the same theater, and now two years later, you got your own movie. And yeah, it ain't working the way that you wanted it to work, but, like, that wasn't part of the deal. You just said you wanted to make a movie. You said you didn't say you wanted it to be successful and shit like that. And now you know, and going forward now, you know, you could change course. You got to pay this movie off. But I remember sitting in that theater and going, but pay off the movie and do this one more time before you leave this world because you loved who you were when you were doing this. For the first time in your life, you felt like you. So don't sell on on it because it didn't work because I was that guy. If didn't work, like I quit school left and right and stuff. Never finished anything. So I was like, all right, you finished this and it didn't work out the way you wanted to, but pay it off and then do it again. Cause maybe you're meant to do this and stuff. So the next day I woke up, first day of the rest of my life, knowing there was no more hope for that movie, it had died. And I got a phone call 
From Warren Littlefield. Warren Littlefield <laughs> called me and said, I'm looking for Jack. I was like, I don't know who that is. Um, I got a phone call from Amy Taubin, the person who had written that article about Richard Linklater that I used as a roadmap. And she was like, I heard your film was the undiscovered gem of the marketplace. And I was like, who told you this? At first, I didn't believe it was her. I was like, this is no way this is Amy Taubin. I was like, Brian Johnson put you up to this. And she was like, nobody has ever accused me of not being who I am. <laughs> um, she's like, I called your house. I spoke to your father. And I was like, oh, my God, you talked to dad? What did he say? She said, Some she racist said, yeah. yeah, instantly it was like, we live in a white area of Jersey, lady. And she was like, I'm white. Um, she said, uh, he said the words that came out of my father's mouth. She goes, somebody liked my son's movie? And she said, people did. I got to talk to him about it. So she's like, can you give me a tape? I got to watch it. I said, who told you about the movie? She said, I can't tell you. So then I hung up and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I got a phone call within 10 minutes from a guy named Larry Kardish who programs new directors for new films, which is at the Museum of Modern Art, is the sister film festival to New York Film Festival. You can only do it once in your life with a first film. I'd never heard about it, never knew about it. What's this it called? guy was calling me, new directors, new films. It's beautiful. Every year, there's a crop of new kids. You only get to ever do it once, man. And you get reviewed in the New York Times. It's real special and shit. I didn't know it existed. All of a sudden, this guy called and he goes, I want to see your movie for possible inclusion. And I was like, who told you about this movie? He's like, I'm not at liberty to say it, but they <laughs> like, really liked the movie. Yeah. And then the third call I got was from a guy named Peter Broderick, who had written an article for Filmmaker <coughs> Magazine the year prior about three independent films, and they published their budgets. The filmmakers gave their budgets. That's rare information in those days. Most people kept that kind of stuff quiet because they want to sell the movie later on, so they never tell you what it cost. These filmmakers, it was Together Alone, the Laws of Gravity, Nick Gomez's movie, and Greg Racky's movie, The Living End. They published their budgets, what the film cost, the film stock, the NAGRA, the rental of the equipment, like everything. Like, we didn't have the internet, so you didn't know that shit if you didn't do it before. And nobody published it, suddenly this was there. So Peter Broderick had written that article, and we used that article when we made our movie as the guidepost. Like, this is what things should cost. That dude called my house, and in my apartment, I was, I was living at the time. And I was like, who? He's like, I want to see a copy of your movie. I heard it was fantastic. Who's who? You've got to tell me who told you about this. And he goes, there's a man named Bob Hawk. Years ago, he's, he's very big in the independent film world. He worked on The Times of Harvey Milk. That was an independent film that won an Oscar years yeah. ago. So it was big news in our community and stuff. So he was like, he's legit. Like he And he's been telling people that this is the movie. <laughs> so I finally spoke to him like two, three days after that. And I was like, I can't thank you enough, dude. Like, you got to understand. I sat in that theater. I was like, my life's over. Like, this movie's over. And you started talking about it, and everyone's listening to was you. Was he really the only guy in the theater? Only, well, there's only. no. There was 10 of us with the movie. There's Bob Hawk sitting up front. And then there was a woman by herself off to the back. So at the end of the movie, Scott Mosier, my producer, he's talking to Bob Hawk. I'm talking to the woman, and she's younger. Like, you know, she was my age. I was 23 at the time, so she's around there. And she goes, you know, she's going, you made this movie? I said, yeah. She goes, do you know anybody in the movie like those characters? And I was surrounded by the people that played the characters <laughs> right. and are the characters in real life. So I was like, um, a little bit, I guess. <laughs> and she goes, I got a theory that all the Nazis that were ever killed were reincarnated and they populate New Jersey. And I go, thank you. And then she goes, she goes, I guess I'll give you my resume. And she gave me her resume and her headshot. 
I wish to God I had saved it. Because yeah. like 20 years on, 25 years later, I'd like to check in and be like, Wow, Courtney Cox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. He's one of the friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it no, was no, so you, strange. You find it in a drawer, like after the show, and you're like, holy shit, it's Ben's wife. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder. I knew it. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was Sorry. crazy. I didn't expect that, that the movie was going to be found after that day. So I kind of went through a death process with it, where I was like, well, this is it. Your dream has just, this was the end of the line. This is what you were gunning for. You're here, and it's not going to work out. But I was raised in the 70s, um, and one of my favorite movies of all time, as we mentioned before the show began, um, is uh, Bad News Bears. And the Bad News Bears, <laughs> yes. The Bad News Bears is a movie that taught an entire generation how to not win. Not to lose gracefully. Like, I was not a t-ball kid. I was not a everybody gets a trophy kid. And I'm not saying I went to the school of hard knocks. I just went to real life. And in real life, like, nobody fetishized children when we were little. They they tried to keep razors out of our apples in Halloween. Yeah. But other than that, they were like, you're on your own. And yep. So it, there was Bad News Bears is a movie that taught an entire generation that, like, sometimes you're just doing it because it's fun. You're not going to win. Sometimes you're not the best out there. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have fun and have a good time doing it. And if you can, drink beer with the adults. So the lesson that I took away from that movie at a young age was it's not a bad thing to lose. Sometimes, you know, it's not whether you win or lose is how you play the game. And shit. So I, I was okay with like, this is it. Like I failed, but so did the Bears. And then they came back, you know, and beat, you know, the team in Texas at the Astrodome. So maybe I'll have my Astrodome moment one day. So I was in a complete place of like, this is fine. And then the next day, life changed in such a weird way that, do you remember the movie Angel Heart? Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Mickey, that was actually Mickey my York. favorite movie growing up. Lisa, Lisa Bonet, right? Okay, so Lisa Bonet, and yeah. they might allegedly, you know, might have done it while they were making the movie. That was oh the yeah, big, yeah, I remember that. That was I the big story it. at the time. Yeah. But regardless, yeah. uh, not yeah, Lisa, Lisa, there. Was Lisa Bonet. Was, I mean, come on, come on. So, but regardless, yeah. that movie, the plot of it is, you know, spoilers. At the end of the movie, he's been sent by Robert De Niro, who plays a character named Louis Cipher, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. to go find this guy named Johnny Angel. And then at the end of the movie, spoilers. He finds out, Mickey Work, that he is Johnny Angel. Yeah. And he had sold his soul to the devil. And part of the deal was that he not remember it. Yeah. And that fucking terrified me when clerks happened because I was like, oh, this is a this is it. This is me doing a fucking like Johnny Angel. I must have <laughs> sold my soul. And part of the deal was that I won't remember it. Because everything turned 180 degrees in the matter of like five hours. And that's just because one, the right person saw it, man. So like, you know. Clerks is not a show of talent. It's a clever movie, but it is it succeeded based on luck and timing. It said the exact right thing at the exact right time. People were trying to put a conversation together about Generation X. Douglas Copeland had written a book. People were trying to figure out slacker culture and stuff, and suddenly there was this movie that typified everything they were talking about. So if we'd done it a year before, you'd never have heard. I wouldn't be here right now. You never would have heard of me. If I did it a year later, you never would have heard about that movie. But we had just the right moment in time. And I was just tenacious enough that once I got into a room, I would not leave. You know, I was yeah. like, I want this to keep going. F going back to quick stop. This is a way better job and stuff. So I just kept working and working and working and working and stuff. You've said two things that um, <clears throat> I think that Jenk and I have talked about a lot. I know I have. I don't know whether, but uh, one, uh, teaching 
kids, but Americans, uh, to lose yeah. with a degree of great. I mean, every you don't always get to be right in this world. Literally, or, or, every single time someone loses, every game, yeah. every little match, every every board game, everything. When you run it a race, change though at a certain point. Like at a certain point, like yeah, I, I don't know when it was, and I'm not. I'm certainly not like trying to pick a. A, gen, a, 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 a age war or a culture war, but I don't know when it happened, but there's an expectation that everybody gets to win and everybody's right, and it's like. But it's partly, it's, it's, it's the, you know. It's I know, the world I grew up in. It's, you know, it's inbred in the manner <clears throat> in which we cover sports. The Buffalo Bills, oh my God, they lost four Super Bowls, losers. Instead of they went to four straight Super Bowls, somebody had to lose. It's only four, right? Yes. Sometimes the, you get four straight heads. It's true. And then you also talk about luck and circumstance, and I won't bore you or the audience with. <clears throat> but I got this job at TCM because mm -hmm. of luck and circumstance. How? The, how? The when I went to the first, I auditioned for every show in Hollywood when I came out here. Right? We like made. TV show. Every, like to be a host, game show host, everything in that Presenter world. world. Presenting world of like, no, I'm not an actor, but uh, I mean, I play uh, reporters on TV and like I, everything I've ever been on is like, how do you respond to the charges, Mr. Mayor? That's my yeah, line, right? right? You know, um, Somebody got to do that line, <clears throat> that's right. man, um, authenticity. So uh, uh, when I did my first TCM audition after literally probably getting rejected 178 times, I got rejected so often that I threw out the cliche of, <clears throat> oh, don't tell anybody about your audition, you'll jinx it, right? So. I thought, well, I never get any of these things. If I don't tell people about it, then I never did it at all. So I'd right. be like, hey, I'm going to be the host of The Weakest Link. Hey, guess what? I'm going to host a new oh, late I night show. That. I just I started telling everybody every audition I had and that I would obviously get it, right? So, but I got nothing. Um, uh, I and, telling people that Ben was going to be the host of The Weakest Link. Right? Yeah. Like, cause it, yeah, look, this is all I'll say. You can finish the story, but like, you're still here. Where the the weakest link. That's right. That's right. Ah, there you go. The weakest there you link. Go. Goodbye. Um, the, uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, it's a very generational joke. Young people are like, I don't know what you're talking I about. Know, <laughs> the, uh, I was um, there when it happened. Um, so uh, uh, I, uh, the first audition for TCM mm. was they told us to watch uh, the, uh, Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai and John Sturge's The Magnificent Seven, which was a westernization of that of Kurosawa's movie, and just be able to. Compare and contrast them, not complicated. So I watched both those movies, and then they had like 12 people, and they put us in groups of like three. Like, you're the host, and you're the expert. Now you're the expert, and the other person's the host. So it was an opportunity to have a conversation as opposed to most auditions where you're standing in a horrible, sterile room with a casting director or their assistant who doesn't care, mm. and there's no laughter. You say something funny, and they're not, you know, they're not paying attention. My respect for actors went through the roof during this process, how much they reveal and give of themselves. It's a world these, of rejection. Yeah, world of it's rejection. a lot of no. Tons of no. And so, uh, and I kept getting called to do, everyone was doing it with me. And I was like, oh, this is, this is going sign. well. But they gave me an opportunity to say something funny and have people respond and be clever and be a little smart. And, uh, and then... By the time I got called back for a second audition, they were because their idea initially was that instead of just hosting the movies regularly, they would do these sort of conversations on the weekend with the filmmaker if they were still alive or an actor or a relative or an expert. And then by the time they they were like, this is going to be too hard to cast. You know, right. we can't book this all the time, so let's just do the regular intros. So by the time I got called back, that idea was gone. If they don't have that brief idea alive, they would never have conducted the audition that way, and I would never have gotten the job. That's and that's crazy. just random hitting a little moment of timing. And, and that, 
you know, and I, I wasn't better than I was two days earlier or two days later. It's just, it was sweet luck. Spot. It was luck. It was a sweet, sweet spot, spot that, that hit, and it. But and I've been there fair, 16 years. You were prepared. Yeah, I was prepared. Like, yeah, that's no question. It, like moments yeah. come for everybody. And sometimes folks just aren't prepared for the yeah. moment it comes and you realize, oh, then it's too late. You, re you realize that was it. You were loaded for bear. Yeah, look, Branch Rickey, the guy who signed Jackie Robinson, quote my dad, beat into my head, luck is the residue of design. Say it's it again. A, luck is the residue of design, meaning- Say it one more time. Luck <laughs> is the residue of design. That's right? so smart. It's so smart. Right? I like, apparently am not. That's why you need to say it three times. Like Kevin, no, Kevin, luck like, is the residue. <laughs> it's the residue, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw that quote, and I, uh, like, in my head, went over it twice or three times. You have times. to, because yeah, you're like, right. Wait. I was like, damn, that's such a smart quote. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, so there is some luck, but obviously, if you're prepared, to, you put yourself in a position to recognize luck and seize it. Yeah. Mm. Okay, one more minute before we lose the podcast, folks. So Boy, do you remember? So this is like this, layered, this is man. the reverse of a Talking Heads movie. Instead uh, of the band coming out gradually, gradually the band, band just, just leaves yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> until it's just us sitting here. Yeah. Nobody's watching the show. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> by the way, the last half hour of this, we're not even rolling. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So like last half hour is for us. Uh, <laughs> kind of happens outside, actually, oftentimes. But anyway, when did you know you were going to be rich? Oh, I'm still waiting for that day. I'm still <laughs> no, now. You're in Ben Affleck's house. I am in Ben Affleck's house, but thanks to the largesse of Ben Affleck, he sold it to me for the exact price he bought it for after having put over a million dollars into it. That's um, he why sold he never it. Called you back. That's true. He's like, <laughs> I gave you a house for cost. <laughs> but he uh, he he had to get out of it because it was too close to the street. He's like, anybody comes out of my house, they're getting paparazzi and stuff like that. And my wife and I, it was the summer that we made Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, we went to his house for a barbecue and it was a gorgeous, giant house, biggest house I've ever been in my life. And my wife is like in love with the place and he's touring us through the house. And then at one point he gets a phone call. He's like, I'll be right back. And he's telling us, like while he's walking through, he's like, I can't stay here. I got to sell the house. I'm like, I can't, we're too close to the street. So he f***s off to take a phone call. And my wife goes, I want this house. And I was like, well, then you married the wrong guy from Mallrats. <laughs> yeah. Because that guy from Mallrats doing quite well. Look at his house and <laughs> And so um, we were coming to move out to Los Angeles just to do the summer after September 11th. So it was like January of 2002, we were going to come out to Los Angeles. I was going to be writing Jersey Girl and stuff. And we just spent a year out in Los Angeles making Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. So I, I called Ben to be like, hey, man, I'm coming to town, and uh, we can hang out and stuff like that. I'm going to rent the same house I was in in the Valley. And he goes, don't do that. Rent my house. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I can't stay here anymore. So instead of it being empty, rent my house. What were you going to pay for that rent in the other place? I thought it was just like 5000 a month. He goes, I'll charge you 5000 bucks a month. He's like, when you're ready to buy the house from me, I'll take off whatever I charged you in rent off the top of the price of the house. Wow. That's... It was a sweet deal. I mean, I did put him in Chasing Amy, but still, it was a sweet <laughs> <laughs> deal and to be fair I raised my kid in that house like my yeah. kid's been there since she was a child we've had it's our family home for the last like 18 years man so I, I it's a, when you look at it you're like this is a rich man's house it was a rich man's house <laughs> thanks to the rich man being kind of generous I got to live in a rich man's house for a while I, I don't I, I'm not like are you still in it? Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah we're yeah, still, still in the house okay. um, I'm like I'm a hustler so you see me a lot because I have to work, and it's not because I'm like, I love being seen, although I do. It's more about like, I gotta spin a lot of plates in order to 
and keep everyone in the lifestyle that they're accustomed to. So I, I live in, in mouth. I do it uh, out of this paranoia, of course, that it's going to go away. Me right? so just, I would as well. You're constantly saying yes to, you know, can you come do this Q&A? We got either zero or $150. And I'm like, okay, done, I don't know done. who's going to be there. I don't know, you know. That's right. the and right. that's why you've been doing that job for as long as you have, and I've been doing the job for as long as I have, because you appreciate the opportunity. It doesn't matter how big it is. Some people in this business won't make pretend unless people give them money. That blows my mind. It's like, are you shitting me? You used to do it for free when you were a kid, and if somebody like told you you could only do this for free now, you'd be doing it for free. That's right. yeah. You're gonna hold out for a dime or two or something like that? Like, off. So my whole career, that's what I've done. Anytime I wanna do something, even if somebody's unwilling to pay for it, I'm like, I'll do it. I just want to do it to see if the thing is fun. I, I, I've never been like, I've, you know, I've never focused on my film career and stuff. I love the movies I make, but I'm never like, I'm going to try to win an Oscar because I'm always distracted by other things that seem fun, like podcasting. I'll do that for a decade. TV show, I'll do that. So I, because of film, it opened up a lot of opportunity where I got to spin a lot of plates and try a lot of things. Anybody that I ever admired and said, oh, that looked fun. I got to try their job. Like I used to listen to Stern all the time because I grew up on the East yep, Coast. Yep, me too. Yeah. And then when podcasting happened, I'm like, I can do my favorite thing from Howard Stern, which is just literally sit around and talk about my life. So me too, but here, we gotta let the podcast guys go to tyt.com slash join to become a member, get the whole show. Thanks for listening to this free clip of Old School. To get the full episodes and more exclusive content, become a TYT member today. You'll love it. Join now at tyt.com slash join.